Hey, it's Jess, and welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast, where we figure out how to navigate the challenges in our lives. It's my personal mission to guide you towards your greatest potential. So come along with me as we explore living with courage, or as I put it, living HeartStrong. Welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. On today's episode, I am so excited to share time with Nicole Walters. She has an incredible story, and I can't wait for you to hear it. She left her successful corporate career to follow her entrepreneurial calling and created a multi-million dollar business to coach fellow entrepreneurs and dreamers. She's a podcast host, an in-demand speaker, a mother, a TV personality, and a new author. We're going to talk about her book today, um, and her new book is called Nothing is Missing. After listening today, I know that you will be inspired to know your worth and to follow your dreams with courage. And so, Nicole, thank you for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, Jessica, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yes, I am too. Um, like I told you in the, well, when we were getting started, I read your whole book. Every <laughs> word. I know. I literally was like, wow. Like I've read my book so many times that literally yeah. I'm like, all right, already, you know, like, yes. and especially because, you know, in different seasons of life, it's like, oh, did I say that? I better, I should start doing that. I'm feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you. Yes, it's so good. But I was wondering if as we begin, if you could share like a little bit about your background, because that was something I loved in the book. You really took a lot of time mm -hmm. to really let us know where you've come from, mm -hmm. who you are. And I think that really set up the story to make it just like that much more impactful. Oh, thank you so much for that. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a lot that I haven't spoken about online, but if people are meeting me for the first time, you know, most of them may have met me or come across me from one of my viral videos around my family. And I adopted my three girls at ages three, 11 and 14 after meeting their mother, uh, panhandling, begging on the side of the street. And, uh, within 30 days she was incarcerated and I came into custody of these three girls. And I know that's story, whenever I share the sort of bite-sized one-sentence version of it, people are like, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> yes. But, you know, that Incredible. is a good reason to read the book. But, you know, I think what makes the book different from other memoirs is that, you know, after people hear the story and they're like, holy cow, Nicole, that, that is crazy and inspirational and beautiful and wonderful because our family is amazingly all of that because uh, you know now I'm 10 years in and I've got a 24 year old a 21 year old and an 11 year old but um you know what's really interesting is people then say Nicole what on earth made you the type mm. of person who would take something like this on yeah and when I really started having to dig deep into that question, I realized that there were a couple of major turning points in my life. My parents being African immigrants, you know, going into private school when I was super poor, you know, getting these girls, quitting my job live in front of 10,000 people and launching my own business. I mean, there are just so many points, stage four cancer, divorce, all of that, where I have faced it all and had to make some major choices. And I've become a very good decider and a very mm -hmm. good doer. And I want people to be able to walk away from nothing is missing, feeling like they can be that too. Mm, I love that. So the book is Nothing is Missing. I love that title. I, I think it's Thank you. so true of life. And we sometimes we can only see that in reverse, frankly. Mm -hmm. But um, 
how, what does that title mean to you and how did you come up with it? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Every time I'm like, shout it out loud, you know, because mm. it is something I went back and forth on. I mean, we had yeah. different iterations, something that I actually haven't spoken about anywhere else. But I'm going to talk about with you and your people is that this wasn't even the first version of the book. You know, mm. the first version of the book was going to be a business book because, you know, I built a multi-million dollar yeah. business, blah, 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 all those bullet points. But um, after going through my divorce, you know, I realized everything I'd been doing in my life was derivative off of this one concept. Mm. I was always chasing something that I felt was missing. And mm. I think a lot of people can relate to this because we have a whole society, a whole machine that is built to, off of telling us we are, you know, if we're great moms, you know, these are areas where we could be better. You know, if we are, and not better in just a like nice way, but in a like, how dare you feed your kids off of plastic, your trash, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, it's like, there's always something Something. that we aren't doing enough when it's like, what we feel as actual day-to-day moms is I am barely keeping it together, you know, like, and what we should feel is our kids are alive and they didn't die today. Like, hurrah. You know what I mean? You know, so it's just like, once I realized that my, so much of my life was being dictated by chasing something missing. Do my kids have enough? Do I have enough? Am I enough? Am I thin enough? Am I, am I too thin? Am I eating well enough? Like just, do I have enough money? Do we take enough vacations? Finally, I got to a point where I said enough. Like I Mm. am like exhausted. I'm exhausted Mm -hmm. with chasing and my body is shutting down. And what, what is missing, if anything at all? And when I finally shut down every aspect of my life and started over, I realized that, oh, nothing is ever missing. And that's what this book is about, is recognizing through every scenario in your life that you have what you need in that moment to get ahead. That's beautiful. You know, one of the things that I, and I actually have this question for later, but I want to ask you now because it's really about the book. After I finished your book, I said to myself, this, I saw all the through lines through mm-hmm, your story. Mm-hmm. Like it was always meant to happen this way. Yes. You know, even though it's crazy, I, you know, right? Like sometimes yeah. I look at my story and I'm like, this is stranger than fiction. Like <laughs> what is even yeah. happening right now? But like, it all comes, it makes sense. When I look back, I'm like, it oh, I'm sense. so glad this happened, you know? Right. And so I, I love that about your story and it's so cool. I mean, I think it's true for all of our lives. Frankly, if we really look back, we see those through lines. And so I guess I was wondering if you saw that in the book, and I hope it's an encouragement to other people that are reading your book, that their life can be that way too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it is the truth. I mean, I was literally yeah. just talking about it over bagels this morning with my guy. Um, we were sitting there talking about you know, how it doesn't really benefit us to look to the past too often, you know, especially Mm. if we're doing it from a place of regret or lack or thinking, what were we missing or what didn't we take advantage of? Because, you know, I think you, you know, when you get to that, like over 30 age, you start realizing, Mm -hmm. oh, I could have done this differently. Or what if I'd, you know, doubled down and reached out to this person, didn't waste money on this thing. But, you know, it's not very fruitful to do that. And writing a memoir is literally nothing but going back at the toughest moments in your life and having to describe them vividly. And hopefully, right, like I think most memoirs read as people just describing them. And that alone can be pretty impactful. People are like, I can't believe you, you know, lived on the streets of Calcutta and helped with the homeless or whatever, you know, like that can feel like a lot. It's a riveting story. And I'm grateful that my book has that. Uh, You can't adopt three kids off the side of the street and not have that, right? But, you know, what I 
was really grateful for was I was able to look back and say, these are the lessons, you know, these mm. are the things to learn from this moment. You are reading about me standing by my 17 year old daughter's bedside, you know, as she's going through chemo and here's the thing that we learned that got us through this moment. And here's where we knew we would have to start over entirely. And here's how we were able to do it. And, you know, selfishly, this book is helping me get through today, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's my hope that it helps other people do the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that it will. When you, in the book you wrote about the American dream is about yeah. options. And that really, really, really struck me because mm -hmm. I think when we don't have options in our life, it's totally scary. I mean, I've been in places in my life without options oh, and yes. it is petrifying. Yes. You know, how has that realization and that like desire for options or just that kind of that, that, that idea, how has that fueled you in your life? So, I mean, I came, you know, I was born here in the States. I'm, you know, an American. I was born in D.C. Doesn't get more American than that, right? And but both of my parents right. are African immigrants, you know, and they worked really hard to come here many years ago, do everything the right way, work really hard. And we were still really poor. You know, we just didn't have enough in terms of basic necessities. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, and I think, you know, this may resonate with a lot of people. If you feel like you don't have enough, it feels like your work and stuff is just to hit the bare minimum. But there's this yep. whole segment of, of the world, which I think kind of, you know, we talk about the middle class, right. You know, but, yep. uh, without getting political, there's this whole segment of people where it's like, we don't even really want fancy things. We just want to be able to like right. pay for the summer camp and like not stress yep. if the roof has a leak, you know? And I don't feel like enough people talk about this segment of the regulars, you know, mm -hmm. where we're not even trying to get yep. the Ferrari. And even if we had all the money in the world, <laughs> we literally, it's right. not even like we quit our jobs because we're the teachers and the nurses and the stay at home moms. We like what we're doing. We just want to do it and feel like we have choices. And mm -hmm. that was the changing point for me when I realized I'm not working towards a number amount because frankly, I have been below the poverty line and I've been the 1%. I have, you know, stood at a bus stop and I've been in private jets. And I literally mm -hmm. am like, oh, all I want is the option to be able to say that these things are accessible to me or that I'm at least comfortable enough to say no if I want my time back to be with my babies. Mm -hmm. And that shift has really changed the way that I approach things because one, I've started seeing options where I thought I didn't have them because I thought it was money related and it really wasn't, you know, I realized it was a boundary thing or it was a um, personal sense of self-worth thing. Like I felt like I couldn't say no, but the truth was I could, you know, and, um, and just throughout the book, you know, it's all about being put into tough corners and trying to find another option because I was like, this is trash and I don't want to do it, you know? And so, and finding mm -hmm. them and actually finding those options. So um, yeah, it's, it's amazing because the book is, Gosh, I, I'd like to say it's a quick read. People describe it as unput downable. Like you just start it and you kind of tear through it. And um, in 300 pages, mm -hmm. I've been shocked at how many times I've been able to find a way where there wasn't one. And everyone else can do it too. Yeah, you have, you have. You said something that that struck me. You said that sometimes when you thought you were you didn't have options you thought it was related to money but really it was related to maybe self-worth or a boundary can you talk a little bit more about that because i think that there's something sure. there 
For sure. So I can't tell you how often we are frightened of engaging in what I like to call the thought experiment of what if I mm. just opted out? And I have an entire chapter called You Have the Right to Opt Out. And, um, mm. you know, and I share a story of how I learned this from a coworker who essentially was just opting out of doing things. And, um, and it's, you know, far more dramatic of a story, but the lesson was clear to me, which was, oh, you can just choose to not do something. And sometimes we don't even engage in that thought process because we're so used to being the go-to person. And I think that like, you know, people don't realize like when you're, we'll always say, I'm just a mom, or even if you're a mom, but no, like as the mom, you are the go-to person. You're like the junk drawer of life. You know, like if you don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like if we don't have it, check the junk drawer. Someone probably knows. And I, and I realize this because even when parent, the kids can't find anything, mom, where's my such and such, you know? And like, you're lending that mm-hmm. mental space, that mental load. We're always doing that work. And we don't realize that. What if we just said no? And I've, and I mean, literally like when now when my kids, like, I can't find that. I'm sorry. I can't help you with that. Keep looking. I'm not even giving the mental load of that. And I used to feel too guilty to even say that. But the truth is I am a finite being. I don't have unlimited mental space, resources, finances, capacity to dedicate to other grown adults in my household or other, or my children, if it's going to take me away from being able to be what is prioritized and most important, which is like food on the table and hugs and love and, you know, all these other things, you know, you can find your own socks, you know, and, and it's safe for me to say, no, I cannot help you with that. You know, no, like you are able to do this thing. And this book, you know, I talk about how I had to really learn that I had a right to say that and that Mm -hmm. I was able to do it and the world wouldn't fall apart. I wouldn't fall apart. And it doesn't make me a bad person. It's actually preserving me to serve well in the future. Yes. Amen to that. Yes. I mean, I think we all struggle with those things. Mm-hmm. Last night I had a kid like upstairs searching for something that I knew was right there. I'm right like, there. Oh, you can Keep do working. it. I believe in you. Like that's my, yes. literally my favorite phrase that I'll say to, say to my kid. <laughs> I believe in you. Like, I really think you can do this, you know? And it's yes. funny because I mean, like we're talking that. a 21 year old, you know? And I'm like, no, I really think you can do it. I believe in you. I and really they think get you mad. Can. They're annoyed, but they're like, all right, all right. <laughs> Right, exactly. Then they're like, I found it. I found it. I'm like, of course you, really you did. Could. Of course you That's did. That's right. You could. <laughs> so, you know, you I, you said something in the book about an entrepreneurial hum. I loved that word mm-hmm. that you used. Mm-hmm. You said that was like a recurring thing. It was just like humming in, in, inside of you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, I think, I, I mean, I'm very entrepreneurial. And so I have yeah. felt what that feels like. And I think a lot of people feel something and it's humming within them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, we ignore it, right? We, we, we push oh, it away. Share what it felt like when you were ignoring it. And then when you finally gave over to it and answered sort of that call, like what, sure. what did that feel like? And what would you say to somebody who is experiencing that hum and just keeps like pushing it away? Sure. Well, one of the first things I always tell people is that entrepreneurial hum is something that you can't ignore and it started sooner than you thought mm-hmm. and it goes with you everywhere. Yeah. Frankly, it probably annoys your friends and family members. You're always talking about an yeah. idea. You're always trying to improve something. Yeah, you're, you're, you yeah. know, you're the person who's in the restaurant saying like, well, this isn't the most efficient way or why are the graphics like yeah. listed like this or this doesn't make like you literally can't turn it off and it's because you're hardwired this way. It just is. Mm-hmm. And frankly, a lot of mamas are the ones who have it because running yeah. a family is running a business. It is, you are managing yes, the 
finances, the operations, the scheduling, the customer service, you know? So it's like, you are this living, breathing CEO, you know, and it's something that I think a lot of us underappreciate because it's so automated with us, but we don't recognize that once it starts translating into other areas where you extend yourself and you're like, I could have served this way, or this is how I would have changed this, or this is so simple. Why wouldn't they have done this? That's the hum. That's the noise. Now, I felt that hum since I was little, and I talk about it in my book. I mean, I was the one who was creating groups at the playground or setting up lemonade stands. Like, I was always that kid, but it was the fact that when I got into corporate and I realized that I was lending that gift to a larger machine and I could not, I could not shut off that I was called for something more. I didn't know what that looked like. The more for me ended up being who I was supposed to serve, not doing different work. So I still do corporate consulting. I just do it for the everyday person. I I provide the same resources. So it's that that wasn't going away. And then the big, like, push point, which I think a lot of people should look for is when you start, it's not like, oh, I went to work one day and they like said officially no more coffee. And I was like, oh, I quit today. You know what I mean? It's not like, I think a lot of us are waiting for that big, like blinking sign that says this is it of perfection, you know, like go. And it's Mm -hmm. not that. What happened for me was I got to the point where I said, you know what? I have given so much of myself to this business, to other corporations. What would happen if I gave myself six months? Like, I don't want to give myself a lot, but what would happen if I just took a small amount of time to see what would happen if I did this just for me? And I tell you, it's so amazing because when you think, oh, I could always, you can always go back. We can all get another corporate job. Most of us are not working our first job we ever had, right? Like we all have managed to find another job. And I tell this to my clients who are doing this all the time. What would happen if you planned took six months off, gave yourself full steam ahead to answer the hum. And then if it fails, right, I'm even saying, look, this, the hum was a lie, right? It was a lie. It wasn't real. It didn't work. And you go back. Wouldn't it be nicer to work without that buzz in the back of your head? That's always Mm. telling you, you could quit. That's such a good point. You know, like at least you can be all in in your corporate career. And that was literally what I said to myself. Like I could do well in corporate if I go back and I don't have this noise buzzing in the back of my head. I just wanted to shut up. And here I am. I've yet to go back to corporate. I'm still working every single day because it worked out. And, um, and corporate is always there. And if I go back now, honestly, I'd probably be even better at the job because I run my own business. So yeah. if you hear the call, it's worth answering just to shut it up so you can go back to doing what you're doing right now. Right. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Yeah. Shut that up. That yep. does get no- noisy in the background. Yep. So when you did make that leap, you said you were promoting yourself to work for yourself. Yeah. I loved that in the book. And you, so I, I want to just, if you don't mind, I want to read something that you wrote in chapter sure. 16. You said, if I didn't make money, I was going to have to give up the thing I loved. Mm-hmm. You're referring to your emerging speaking career, your content mm-hmm. creation through your blog, kind of your emerging business. And you were also in a place where your family needed money um, to be like, they needed you. Yes. You were a, a very important part of sort of those daily needs that of ecosystem. a family. I think mm-hmm. so many people can relate to that, that are listening. I know that you can't. What would you say to someone who's in that place? It's like they, they, they couldn't, they, it's like, I can't give this up. I need this money. Mm-hmm. I've got this other thing. I've got these kiddos that need, you know, sneakers and, mm-hmm. you know, all the things, right? I yep. mean, life is so expensive, expensive. now, especially mm-hmm. if you have kids and if they're doing anything at all, and then you go and like get a thing of eggs. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's such a challenging time, I think, for a lot of people. And yet there is, Life is short and we should follow the things that are deeply inside of us. So 
what would you say to someone who feels rather stuck right now in that space? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I have never, and this is me, like, I'm, I'm so guilty of always being, like, super transparent and stuff, but, like, half the mm. stuff you see on the internet is poppycock. It's, this is what I'm talking about when yeah. I say, like, being a regular person. Most of yeah. us do not want to become, like, posing on a Lamborghini somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, we are literally not trying to be that. Look, no one wants no, to even see me do that. You know what I mean? Like, right, we're trying right. to make enough money to not even live a flashy life. I just would, most of us would be happy to, like, replace our income enough so we could just have the mm -hmm. freedom of time or so we could work yep. in other places. You know, we're not looking for miracles. So people who are out there, like, you can have a seven, eight, nine-figure business. I don't even know if I want all of that. You know what I mean? Like, because mm -hmm. it also comes with other things, right? So, sure. You know, I understand completely when people are in their different spaces with it. And what I always tell them is that for me, the first thing is you have to build a place to go. So, mm. so many of us see this sort of, I've been documenting my story since the day that I quit. So I was working in corporate, then I started my side hustle and literally I showed the entire thing. So if you scroll back far enough, you can see that, look, I did the big scary thing and I survived. So many people just pop up out of nowhere on the internet and they're like, you never knew who I was, but now I'm a millionaire and you should listen right. to me, you know? And totally. I can tell you pretty transparently that I had to build a place to go. I knew that if I wanted to do entrepreneurship, I wanted to be the best boss that I've ever had. That's what I wanted for me. So that meant I get a paycheck from day one. It doesn't mean that your paycheck is as big as my paycheck is now, but when I first mm -hmm. started, I could replace my salary. So it meant that I worked, you know, I, I call it homing from work for a while. I was at work, you know, doing a little bit here, doing a little bit there. There were times where the kids went to bed and I stayed up a couple hours and it wasn't like that forever, but it was what I was doing towards being able to hire myself. I wanted to make sure I had a real job to go to. So it's difficult and it's hard. And I think that so many of us get scared in that, oh my gosh, I don't want to get too obsessed with my side hustle or I don't want to overwork, but there's, you will not get paid for not doing work. That is just the truth of it. Right. There's no such thing as a passive income business where you don't work on the front end to earn that passivity on the back end. Mm -hmm. But that work is fruitful. And frankly, you don't even have to be fancy or innovative. Everybody who's telling you that is lying. All you have to mm -hmm. do is be consistent. If you can outlast the next person, you'll win. Most, um, and Jessica, you know this, and I'm a podcaster too, you know this too. The average podcast has 10 episodes before people quit right if they even it make does. it that far like if it you make does. it to 50 episodes you're already in the like rare echelon of podcasters because mm -hmm. most people have a great idea and they fizzle out they don't even stay with it long enough badly like if you do a bad podcast for 50 episodes you literally will have more listeners than like it's something like 25 you'll be in the top 25% of podcasts. Like, it's, yeah, it's, a it's a crazy statistic. It's, it's crazy. crazy just by yes. showing up every day. So it's one of those yes. things where I tell people, if all you're going to do on your side hustle is say, look, I'm going to do a podcast, put it out every week. It's 20 minutes long, just chatting to moms. And I'm going to send that out. And I'm not going to stop doing it for three years. Give it a deadline for three yep. years. After three years, you will have 150 episodes and you will likely have a podcast that is generating some revenue. And if you're saying right. that if I knew I could do something today that in three years would generate enough revenue to pay for school fees, the mortgage, a vacation, or even cover groceries, and it would be fulfilling and make my heart feel yep. full, why wouldn't you do it? 
what's the excuse right. to not start now? And that was my mindset when it came time to answer that call and be a good boss for myself. It was, mm-hmm. let me start doing this thing and commit to doing it long enough so that I can earn the right to not go back to corporate. And every day mm-hmm. I'm still trying to earn that right. I'm still here. But I think what I love what you said, though, is you were in there for the long haul. I just yeah. I just don't think our culture preaches that. Mm-hmm. I don't think people see that. It's like that consistently showing up is is hard i mean it's, it's so hard, hard in our lives it's so hard it's like it's just it's so hard but and showing up with nothing right. girl jessica tell the people yeah. when you're when your very first podcast episode you had a million listeners right and everybody <laughs> tuned in you had you went viral with all the shares right. and you were able to interview britney spears right that was your right. first episode of course right <laughs> absolutely i think my mom listened to it and my sister that's my right dad, you know what i mean you know great you know you know like we're playing it we're playing it in the background of the car we're just like we're using different devices to try to just add downloads you know what i mean (laughs) exactly that's how it feels that it is and i think that our culture like i always say this loves the gold medal stand yes but they don't want to be there for the 4 a.m practices right right. don't want to it's just it's the my son is a big runner he's a big cross-country runner he ran 300 miles over the summer he's Mm -hmm. 14 he's totally committed but he's like he always says mom it's just about the reps (laughs) and it's true it's It's about the reps. that's like getting those miles in and i love that you said that because i think we need to be more honest about that especially as women entrepreneurs as mothers I mean we can't like it's I always tell my husband it's like you know some people are like oh I look perfect and everything Mm -hmm. my house is organized no 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 like we're scrapping we have maybe a neighbor watching our kids literally like literally we're all just figuring it out and I wish we could normalize that yes and also keeping in mind that even within that scrape mode you can still be wildly successful and still have to sweep your floors like I think sometimes there's the image out there is either that you are scraping it not making Mm -hmm. it working hard every single day without a dime or you're the Kardashians with live-in staff that are (laughs) cooking for you and cleaning your house like and and and, and I'm telling you, the internet has perpetuated that by making it seem like people are either doing a launch or on a jet, you know, in the Maldives. And it's like, no, I do very, very well for myself financially. And I also still do my own groceries, cooking and sweep my own floor because I do not have live-in staff. And frankly, mm-hmm. I do not want 24-7 live-in staff. And I do not want my kid never seeing me pick up a broom myself, you know, like, mm-hmm. and these are things because at least for me, you never know what life's going to give. And there is pride in knowing how to do work. My kids, literally my six-year-old, my, well, she's 11 now. She's been doing her own laundry since she was six. And it wow. was because she knows where the buttons are. You know, we got her to yeah. school, we showed her what to do, you know, and we've walked her through it. Now we helped her with the different steps. And now she's 11 and does the whole process by herself. She understands mm-hmm. on the weekend, one of the days is a responsibility day. One of the days is relaxation day. And we balance our responsibilities with relaxation. And, the, and we do our responsibilities on a Saturday so that that way when Sunday comes, we feel so good resting because we know laundry's done. We're ready for the week. Groceries are done. And she handles her stuff while mom is sweeping, doing cooking for the week, whatever. And like the reason I teach her that is not because 
to be very clear, I could have staff in my house doing these things. I want her to understand how to do it for herself in case something changes. I don't want her to be crippled by the moment that work shows up at her door and she doesn't know how to respond. And that's what I see in a lot of people who get into entrepreneurship for the first time. They bought into the image that it is automation, but you can't automate relationships. You have to do the work in order to enjoy the fruits of the labor. And it's more like farming. It's less like a uh, chia pet. <laughs> you know? So that is a good, I love that's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. That's really good. So in the book, you talked about mentors. Like yes. you talked, you said you, we can only dream as big as the world we've seen. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to, if we haven't seen it, it's hard to know that it's there for us. I have experienced that personally in my life in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, people showing me something that I didn't know was available to me. So I know how powerful that is. You know, what would you say to somebody who's like, I know I need a mentor. I, I, I don't know where to look for one. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to find one. Um, you know, I know there's something more for me out there, but I just don't know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So I always say this to people, especially because coming from corporate, I understand finances. We can't all afford to pay 50K to be part of the world's coolest mastermind, right? And frankly, some of those masterminds are garbage anyways, right? They're just a bunch Mm -hmm. of people surrounding some bro who's like, I'm big and fancy, do this, you know, and it's, and that's not even our vibe. That's not even who we are, right? right? So I always tell people, look, one of the things that any mentor loves is knowing that you're actually going to execute. And chances are the type of mentor that you want to have is already sharing their secrets, like, and secrets meaning mm-hmm. lessons and what they've done. So sure. if one of my favorite emails that I get from people are, Hey, Nicole, I've been following and watching and consuming your content for years. I bought your $10 this or your $97 this. I implemented it and here's what I learned. But mm-hmm. now that I've learned this, these are the three things I'm kind of having struggles moving forward on and here's what I've tried. What do you advise? I answer those emails. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I Mm -hmm. answer those emails. I'm like, look, this is really admirable. Try this, this, or this, or I love what you've built. Let me go ahead and shoot an email to my such and such person to see if they can help amplify your results. And before you know it, you have fallen into a mentor. The lesson Mm -hmm. in all of that is one, a mentor is not going to execute for you. If you don't have the work ethic, you're never even going to benefit from having a mentor. You're are wasting your time and theirs. The other lesson from that though is be bold in your ask. When I tell you the amount of times I have gotten somewhere and you'll see this in this book because mm-hmm. I didn't I opened my mouth, right? I literally was like Hey, fancy keynote speaker who is the biggest person. I have this problem and I do not know what to do. And here's what I here's where I think I'm stuck. Do you have even a sentence to give me? Because even if I don't understand what they tell me, because that has happened, right? When you're talking to thought leaders, they'll give you some mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. and you're like, that was not what I was looking for, but okay. You know, like a thought leader mm-hmm. will tell you, they'll be like, well, the question is, where do you think your truth lies? And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was right. asking like, if I should increase my staff by 10%, you know what I mean? But right. you take that piece and it may not make sense now, but it'll make sense later. Or you'll lay and sleep on it or you'll pray on it, whatever your belief system is. And then you're like, holy cow, this makes sense to me. And so mm-hmm. I, um, have been really bold and fearless in asking for help, you know, even though that's taken a lot of work and asking for perspectives. Um, and that has resulted in me building mental relationships that have changed my life, changed my life. So would you say when you said you were bold in asking, mm-hmm. 
it's almost like asking, but being totally okay, whatever the response is, right? Oh, yes, because we don't ask because we're afraid of a no. Yeah, well, Jessica, right? we're already sitting in the no. So it's like, That's, if, oh, if, so I, if I'm so already good. sitting in the no, then why don't, wouldn't I give myself a 50% chance at yes? Mm. I would like, I, if I told you, you had a 50% chance of, of winning the lottery, you would play the lottery every single day. Yep. You know yep. what I mean? So the idea that you are like, no, I'd rather be content in the no because of a fear of hearing it confirmed. It, I'd rather mm. just confirm it for myself. No, like I say this all the time to people, don't count other people's pockets. And that really has to do with mm. like pricing and things of that sort. Don't make, I say it, oh, and this is super transparent, but this happens. Um, I'm recently engaged after a divorce and yeah. you know, from years ago and I uh, love my new fella. So happy about it. But when I tell you, I almost wrecked this relationship a million times over by overthinking and assuming the worst. And mm. one of the, th and he did the same thing too, because we were just so excited that we found this thing that we were like trying to be really tender with it, that we didn't mess it up. And when I tell you the phrasing that we use now to this day is don't think for me, like, don't think for me, oh, like that's good. just ask me and let me tell you what it is, you know, and the same thing applies with clients, mentors, uh, prospective customers, uh, peers, let people tell you what they think and know you'll survive instead of you creating a narrative in your head and operating and making decisions based on that. You'd be surprised that it always, 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 always. And I will like, I rarely use like categorical words like that, like always works out better than you think without fail. Mm. Like even if you if someone says no, that is still better than you think because you want to know who is on your side and not, who is supporting you or not, because then you don't waste time with those people. With this book launch, I have a list of people that I'm reaching out to and I have and I know where I'm headed. I know what God has called over my life. I know what is destined for me and I am unequivocally marching towards it. Right. So there are people that I've reached out to saying, like, I finally have done the thing. This book has been four years in the making. You know I've been working on this. Is there a way you can support? I don't begrudge them whatever season they're in not being able to support, but I do make a mental note of saying, okay, sure. Let me shift them off of this list of people that I thought were front runners in, in my support crew so I can make room for the people that are. And when I get to my mm -hmm. next chapter and I'm in a place where I have to honor those relationships, I am going to honor them tenfold because I will mm -hmm. get there just as I have, I've honored relationships in this season that were with me from the very beginning. You know, yeah. I have people who started with me and you read about it and nothing is missing. There's someone mm -hmm. who started with me in the beginning and I couldn't pay them. Not a dollar. I remember. Yeah. You remember that person, not a dollar. Oh, yeah. You know, this person yeah. I have literally made millions for. And, mm. and they are thriving right now, living mm. exactly the life they've wanted. Every single thing they've ever looked at me on that day and said, I would like to be able to do this, this, and this. I have settled and paid in full on time with some sauce on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things where you know who you are. Feel free yeah. to ask because you know that when the time comes to like square it up, you always will. Ask boldly every mm -hmm. single time. Hey, we're taking a little break because I want to invite you to learn more about the HeartStrong Collective, a nonprofit and social movement I created in 2015. This organization is on a mission to inspire people everywhere to be heartstrong, and we're giving back to support families in the long haul of raising kids with complex illnesses and disabilities. We're also investing in the next generation, and we're trying to leave this place just a little better than we found it. You can learn more about us at theheartstrong.com. Oh, and while you're there, make sure you visit our shop and check out our Heartstrong merch. If you'd like to learn more about me, my coaching practice, or invite me to speak at your next event, you can visit me at jessicalindberg.com.
com. Let's get back to the show. I love that. That's beautiful. And I think, thank you. I mean, that's just, it's like a, a pep talk. So uh, I know. I know. Pep talk. Just ask, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be surprised. Yeah. You'd be surprised. And honestly, it's almost never a no. People usually have like a down sell, right? Like yep. they're usually like, Hey, I can't do this, but I can do this. You don't but even can know do what people's capabilities are. Right. Yeah. Right. I also think I, I run a nonprofit organization and, and I always say to people, you know, when you're asking someone for money or asking them to support something, you're giving them an opportunity to be part of something bigger yes. than themselves. Yes. So it's not just about the money. It's not about me who's asking because it's not for me. It's for this cause that's mm -hmm. bigger than myself. And you're actually giving them an opportunity mm -hmm. to lean into that and have that experience. So yes. I think that sometimes when we're asking for something, it's also important to realize it's not, it's, it's about a, something bigger, right? Yes. Than just that one thing. Yes. And even if it's for your own business or your own pockets, keep in mind, yep. you have to support your kids. You have to Absolutely. like, if it was for your babies, yep. if I told you tomorrow that you needed to go and ask for money for your kids, it doesn't matter what shame you're feeling. It doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how scared you are. Yep. You would be you out do there. It. You'd be out there without yep. hesitation. So it's the same energy. Me getting paid properly is because I do not want to turn to my kids and say, I'm sorry, I have to work double the time because mommy didn't mm -hmm. want to charge properly for the same work. Like, no, mm -hmm. I, I charge properly so I can be with my babies and honor yep. the time that they deserve like it's it's yeah. a respect thing for me and teaching them the same i want to i want to go i want to ask you something i didn't have it in these yeah. notes but you talked about i don't do free uh, yes. in your book mm -hmm. and i really really like that because so listen to this story my husband um told me the story there was P picasso this is a story about him and, and it, it illustrates this he um was he someone asked him to hire him to paint a picture he painted the picture and it was said it was like some astro astronomical amount of money and the person said well it took you 10 minutes mm -hmm. and he looked and said it took me 20 years mm -hmm. to be able to do that right like so it's minutes. like that's right so that's to be right. able to get to that and it's just the illustration that i think especially women mm -hmm. especially in entrepreneurship um and i sometimes think moms is like oh we don't really know or we yep. don't you know yep. we second guess ourselves Talk about how you got to that I don't do free and why. Because I think that is, I agree with you 100%. And I think it's something people need to hear. So this I get asked about all the time, partly because it is so cringy. I know there are people listening right now who are like, that feels gross. That feels weird. That's not mm -hmm. giving. That's not altruistic. So I want to be really, really clear about it. I do free for ki for children, for mm -hmm. churches, and for charity. But mm -hmm. I want to be I want to put a little star by that because even the church pays the plumber. The plumber yep. does not come in there and say, "Oh, your yep. toilets are stuffed up," but because you guys flush for the Lord, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> write this one off. You know what I yeah, mean? Like right. that's not a thing. You know so. Yep. I just want to say that, you know, it, I, the reason why I say I don't do free is because, and this is, I think, really going to bring it together for some money is really good with me. I am, and it's good with you too, as a listener, you too, Jessica, it's good with you. Why? Because we are good people with good intention that want to do good in this world. That mm -hmm. much I know because you wouldn't be here right now listening in this moment if you weren't, right? People who are not good people don't listen on ways to encourage themselves and be more generous and serve and have strong hearts. They're not that terrible, right. right? So right. I say this because here's why you have to charge in full and, and on time. Because there are bad people in this world. 
There are people out there who 100% have zero problem collecting all of the money for themselves or to move and advance their ill intentions. That Mm -hmm. is a reality. They have no problem collecting all the money in order to enlarge their business, to buy the islands, to get the jets, to, you know, cause more harm, to advance their mission, whatever. So... Mm -hmm. If these people without hesitation are charging the way they want to charge, raising prices the way they want to raise them, and and then taking the funds to do what they want, I must get this money. I must. Mm. And I have to so that I can put it where it belongs. I can never, and I, I belong to a, a number of organizations, and I've been on boards of major charities that have literally called me and said, hey, we can't finish this project. We need to renovate this bathroom for these uh, sex trafficking women who've come out of this lifestyle and are now, you know, trying to move forward. Can you help us? And I said, and I can say, yes, I'll have $22,000 in the bank account mm-hmm. tomorrow. How would I do that if I did not charge? How right. can I put the money where it's supposed to go? If I hadn't said to myself, I was going to launch this business and charge accordingly, then how on earth would I have my three babies and my eldest one recently um, coming out of a life where she was exposed to so much addiction and substance abuse Mm. recently uh, hit a hundred and I think like 54 days sobriety, you know, she's 24 and, you know, had to go through the whole recovery process. Mm -hmm. How would I have been able to help support her in getting her into treatment? If I had not been charging before, how would I have Mm. paid for my daughter's chemotherapy with stage four cancer and six months to live that cost me a quarter million dollars out of pocket if I hadn't charged properly like there's a correlation between it and I think a lot of us feel guilty saying but I have to do free because what if my work isn't good enough sis if you're listening right now nobody wants your free bad work okay right right if the work is bad don't even do it for free but we both know that if you go out there and you do your work you're going to do your best if somebody comes back to you and says they don't like it you're going to go back 10 billion times over to fix it that's your integrity charge for it because you know you're good for it and they're going to spend that money with someone else who isn't going to see it through so charge for it it's worth it i love that that's so good Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you're a person of faith and you were very open about that in the book. And and I am as well. And and I love how you talked about it because you were unapologetic in what you believe, but you set a wide table Mm -hmm. and you were like, Hey, you're all welcome here, which is exactly the role that I, I think it's fascinating to hear what other people believe in. and, Mm -hmm. and, 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 but you know, when we go through hard things in our life, like we do, come to this place where we've got where the rubber meets the road and yep. we need something bigger than ourselves. And that has been my experience. And so I was, I just think it's interesting that you and awesome that you were so open about that because I think a lot of leaders and people in the space that you operate aren't willing to do that. Sure. And so I'm wondering if you would share like how you decided to do that and then how your faith informs your work and and what you do and kind of how you see yourself as a human on this earth. Sure. So, I mean, I talk about it in the book, like I am a God girl, you know, and Mm. to further um, clarify that for those who need to know, I'm a Jesus believer and a Jesus follower. So Mm. that is, you know, my personal belief system and background, but I also am a hot mess Christian. What does that mean? I am parking in the overflow parking lot, sitting up in the balcony in the back. I'm using the sky Bible because I forgot mine, meaning the projection screen for the verses. Like I'm, I'm a mess. Okay. I eat too much cheese. Like there's lots of ways that I sin, you know what I mean? Like all day. And so it's in that imperfection that I've discovered the sheer grace that it is to like learn every single day and figure it out. And I don't know how I would do the work I did without 
learning, appreciating, and applying to myself the grace that I know infinitely from my relationship with Christ. Like that is a, such a defining part of how I'm able to show up and frankly tolerate this world because this world is a hot mess. Yeah. People drive me crazy every day. If it wasn't for me knowing and, and wanting that grace for myself, I don't know how I'd be able to handle people. But when it comes to being out loud about it in my in my field, I think that really comes down to one on a personal level. I don't want it if God can't be there. That's just mm. my opinion. I, nothing. It's almost like if I had to eat food the rest of my life, yet yeah, without any salt or seasoning, it would mm. keep me alive, but it wouldn't taste as good. And frankly, mm. there's certain things where I wouldn't even want it anyways. And yeah. that's kind of how I feel about my relationship with my Christian faith is that everything tastes better if it's involved. And if it's a place where it can't be involved, I don't want it. I can't even understand it. Like it's just how I interact with the world. So Mm -hmm. I am faith forward in the things that I do. Cause also I've learned for those people who might be scared about whatever their belief system is, people really like knowing where you stand, you know, they love that, you know, they like knowing like, Oh, okay, well, if this is what you believe, that's Mm -hmm. great. At least I know it informs what you do and either I'm into it or I'm not, you know, and right. And that's okay. And that's okay. And like, yes. and then in terms of building a taller, a, you know, uh, um, let me say it again, in terms of building a tolerant and wide table where people feel like there's room, because in my community, I have true representation from all walks of life mm-hmm. and belief systems. And um, the reason why I think I have such an inclusive table is because I am not here to uh, preach you know, and to uh, Mm -hmm. disciple by uh, taking verses and saying, this is what I do and this is how you're supposed to do it and all of that. Not because I don't want to, or I don't see value in it, but because frankly, I'm not qualified. Like, I mean, they always say God qualifies the called, not, you know, calling Mm -hmm. the qualified, but yeah, that's not what I do. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. Mm -hmm. But what Mm -hmm. I can tell you is I can show Jesus all day. If I can be the one Christian that people know where they're like, she feels sane and normal and approachable and forgiving and grace-filled. And I can ask her questions and, you know, wherever I go and I hear about Christianity, I'm like, oh, I know this one girl who like, you know, still had a glass of wine at the end of the day and like said a curse word and, you know, got stressed out and like, you know, went through a divorce and survived and, you know, was very imperfect. But gosh, I can definitely, if that girl's not getting into to heaven then you know and none of us have a chance you know what right, i mean like right. you know like that because she, she is yep. crying like that alone i think can bring people back into the faith if they are seeking that walk because they've been hurt by the church you know and you can't hear mm-hmm. it but quotation marks you know in the world yep. so that's how my faith i think integrates in is like just being really honest it's who i am it's how i live and it informs what i do and people should know that and it's scary to be held accountable to that because i think mm-hmm. people get worrisome they are people find that worrisome because they're like you're being held accountable to standards like oh well can she have a boyfriend can she this but a lot of mm-hmm. those are like man's you know, judgments. And I don't get too Mm -hmm. caught up in being humble before man. I worry about being humble before Christ, you know, and that that works for me, you know, so it's imperfect, you know, and I, I, I say that all the time, but be who you are completely and what you believe, because you could change someone's life. Your life may be the only Bible they read. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. I have a couple more questions for you before we go. Um, you talked about rescuing in the book, you mentioned rescuing 
And, you know, even at a point in your life when you were incredibly successful and you like really on the outside had it all, I'm using air quotes right now, right? Um, you know, you still had to confront this fact to yourself that you were rescuing people mm -hmm. and that you really maybe even weren't doing that for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to talk about this idea of rescuing because I struggle with it. You oh. know, I'm a mom of three and I have a son with a lot of medical needs and there's mm -hmm. always things that are needing to be done. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I like lately I've been saying, but I need to do that for myself. And yes. so that really resonated with yes. me um, because there, there do have to be boundaries, but this, but it's almost like our culture expects women to be the rescuers. And it's like, we need to say, uh, -uh you know, so tell us about that and like how you've shifted that mentality in your life. Oh my gosh, Jessica. I mean, you get it. Like it's one of those things I think when we're raised where there's this sort of weird societal thing. I think it's getting better now, you know, yep. with the younger generations, but you know, a lot of us were raised with this idea that being a good woman or mom, you know, mm -hmm. for previous generations was just stay at home and keep house. Right. Which yep. is already very taxing, particularly when back in the day you were expected to have 17 children. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, it's right, like right. that yep. was already a lot, but then yeah. it became, Oh, you know, being a great woman, or if you're a Christian Proverbs 31, right. You got to tend the soil and mend the, clothes and you know bring in the money and rear the babies like you know it's just like a great woman can do it all you know yep. and and here's the part that really sucked them out. We had to do it all and not complain. Be like, right. be grateful that you're balancing it all and, and don't say mm -hmm. it's hard. And I think we're at a point now where we're realizing that we have created a culture where women are expected to set themselves on fire to keep others warm. And that mm. is like the greatest version of of who we are is that we're meant for productivity and our our claim to fame is that this is the mom who sacrificed of herself in order to make sure we all had now yep. it is a i think our hardwiring as mamas you know is that is our nature like we give mm -hmm. of ourselves from the moment of conception you know we are truly giving of ourselves completely for the sustenance of our family but once they are outside of our body, we got to be reasonable here, right? Because, yep. because yep. there are things we got to do every day, you know, especially when we've got multiple humans, you know, and it's, uh, there's nothing admirable about rescuing people from the experiences they need to be able to sustain themselves. And mm -hmm. I have a really great friend, Ashley Mew, who has an incredible podcast called Healing Her. And I just saw that today. Oh, did I you? Oh, her. I yeah. love her. Ashley is my girl. I love her. And, you know, she is a mental wellness and grief as expert. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason I bring her up is because, you know, she's this person who's this like light in this world. And mm -hmm. yet she has confronted death so often and death is something we don't like to talk about because it right. is uncomfortable. But the truth is, if you acknowledge the fact that you will not always be here for our kids, if we just like realistically, yep. I'm not always going to be here to help them with the socks. Heck, it might just be at grandma's house. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. I am not always going to be here to cook for my 24 year old. I'm not always going to be here to help them with this thing. And you start realizing what type of person do I want to leave in this world? Do I yeah. want my baby crying in frustration over the laundry machine because they don't know what permanent press is? You know what I mean? Or do I mm -hmm. want them to feel in that moment, I'm so glad that my mom, it feels like my mom was here because I'm so glad they taught me this thing in this moment yeah. and I'm moving forward. And that's what I think about. I want to leave a legacy with my children of them feeling empowered and capable and knowing how to do stuff, which means I have to be the strong adult 
in these moments to watch them struggle, knowing that they're struggling right now with me present with one hand on their back to be able yeah. to say, you can keep going, right? That's I don't good. want them to struggle and and when I'm not there to be there for them. So that is why rescuing is so damaging. Us fixers in this world, you know, have to be really careful about that because if we're not going to do it, first of all, like, it kills us. Like it's not good for our right. level, all that. It's not healthy. But if you, but again, you can't say that to a fixer rescuer because we're like, so we don't care. Everyone else is great. You know what I mean? So if you're not going to do it for you, do it so yeah. that the people you are rescuing can sustain, you know, long after you're gone because our time will come and we want to make sure that they're mm. well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I almost killed myself rescuing and it has changed my life to realize that one, people are more capable than we thought. We'll figure out a right. way, you know, and right. two, to know that, you know, I am building a legacy of empowered children mm. and empowered people by stepping back. I love that. I love that. And I also feel like it just in reading your book, a lot of this comes from the way you were raised and the experiences oh, yeah. that you had and, mm -hmm. you know, working hard. And sure. I, I think that those qualities, like I have this thing with my boys, I say every day, hard work pays off. I say oh, hard so work good. and they say pays off. Mm -hmm. And we say it all the time because okay. it is true. It is mm -hmm. so true. Um, I mean, I didn't grow up in a family where I had everything. I mean, I had to mm -hmm. do so many things for myself. And at the time I hated it and now I appreciate it. And so I think right. you're right. Like giving our kids, empowering them and teaching them that they can do things and they can't have everything that they want and that we have to like, that is gold because I think that that, I mean, I've talked to professional athletes. They're like hard work over is, is over talent many days. Oh, any day. You I know? mean, I listen, like my, um, my fiance is a musician and I use this example mm. all the time when I talk to my clients. So he's a musician. He was trained at Berkeley. He's super qualified, lives in LA. He mm. works constantly. And he will tell you to your, his, like anyone else say, look, I'm not the best at my craft. I'm very, very good, very talented. I have my area of, of expertise, but I get booked because I am consistent. I know how to show up on time and do the job. I am easy and fun to be around. I'm helpful. I'm thoughtful. I am useful in this space. And he's like, it's the fact that I am able to do all those things when in a space where people are showing up and being divas or egotistical or ill-prepared right. or, you know, whatever, that... I stay booked. So it's like, he's like, I basically, I work hard and I, and I get paid, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, you couldn't be writer in telling your little ones that. And I've, I've experienced the same thing too. Doesn't mean we can't be fun parents either, you know, like, right. 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 That's part yeah. Of it, but absolutely. It gives me my life. Like you, I mean, you've got three, I've got three. When you have three mm -hmm. kids at any given time, one of them is absolutely going insane. Like, like yeah. it's like a magic yeah, there's number. Always something, always something there's no always matter something. what, you don't get a break. Yeah. And so it's like, when you have three, three kids whenever I taught my kids that we're a team like that's been the language mm -hmm. that we've used since the very mm -hmm. young age which is look when you take care of your responsibilities and I don't have to then go do your laundry like laundry's got to get done right you're not going to school naked and they'll, they'll be like yep and I'm like cool so mm -hmm. if you aren't able to help with some parts of it then I have to do it and if I have to do it then I'm not over here which means that mm -hmm. we could both be done with our activities at the same time and going to get ice cream or we're not done at the same time and there is no ice cream. And, and that is just mm -hmm. how life works. So this Friday, yep. I'm taking my little one to the Beyonce concert. She has fun. no idea. Yeah, she has no oh, idea. Fun, fun. She has no clue. And because I told her, I said, the tickets are really expensive. I don't know. You know, we'll see. And she's like, nope, I totally understand. We can. She was like, it's probably going to be a documentary anyways. We can watch it at home. Aww. Like, that's her mindset. So I'm excited to 
help her experience something. But frankly, I could only have done it if she was, if she wasn't such a responsible kid that gave me space, you know, as a, I have a fiance, but you know, a single mom post-divorce, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's because she's an incredible kid and she knows that, mm-hmm. you know? So, That's I mean, you're awesome. nailing it. I'm like more mamas like Jessica, more mamas oh, who are helping <laughs> us. I'm like, right. do you have That's sons? True. Do you have sons? Please raise these boys up because I've got daughters right. and you know, boys. Three boys. I yeah. know we need good men in this world. That's that right. I got case. three girls. Let's match them up. We will. We will. Yeah. Be resting easy on a porch somewhere. Okay. Because that's we got right. These kids to take that's care right. Of themselves. <laughs> that's right. So I have one last question for sure. you. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. You're so wonderful. Um, okay. So the Heartstrong Podcast is all about who we become and what we create from the heartaches that we witness around us and the adversities that we face. And so I love to ask all of my guests, like. What do you love about yourself because of all the hardship that you've been through? Like, what are you like, this is amazing about me, Nicole, because of the things like I wouldn't be able to be this person without. And so I just love this about myself. What would you say? Oh, my word. Um, I love that I'm really open hearted to people. Mm, and I've good. seen the impact of people who think the world isn't in their favor or has struggled to see the goodness in others, like as a baseline of who they are. And that is so just, it's not even my hardwiring. And I recognize that that is very different. I really Mm. do believe that people are wake up with the morning with the intent and desire to help serve show up in this world. Well, even if it's like they're busy and their mind's full, you know, if they have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to good, I really think that if you give them, two buttons and one hurts and one doesn't, everyone's going to pick the the good button, you know? And yeah, that is so encouraging to me. And it really reminds me that like, you know, I could meet someone that I haven't met before tomorrow and they could be my best friend for the next 20 years. And I haven't even mm. met them yet. You know, like the world is just mm-hmm. that good. And I love that about myself because it has really allowed me to be open to opportunity because I'm not afraid of people because I trust the goodness. And, um, and I hope I say that way, (laughs) you know, I really do. No, that's beautiful. I've no one's ever said that, given me that answer before. I love that. That's very, that's beautiful. Nicole, it has been a pleasure spending time with you and I wish you all the success with your book. I go get the book, go read the book. Um, you're going to, it's, it's just, it's a pep talk that you need and it's going to inspire the heck out of you. So all the best, Nicole. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today on the Heartstrong podcast. You know, I'm on a mission to help people live full and purposeful lives. So if one of these episodes is spoken with you, will you help spread the word by subscribing, leaving a review and sharing an episode that you love with a friend? I know your time is precious. So thank you for sharing it with me today. And just a reminder before I go, Your life and story have great purpose. Don't forget it. I'll talk to you soon.